Afghanistan, Algeria, Armenia, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Kurdistan, Lebanon, Pakistan, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Jordan. Welcome to Radio Intifada. Voices from Calcutta to Casablanca. Voices of struggle. Voices for change. Bringing you news and analysis of people's struggles throughout Southwest Asia and Northern Africa. Brought to you by Swana Collective. KPFK Pacifica Radio, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles and 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara and streaming live at kpfk.org. Hello and welcome to Swana Region Radio, a weekly review of politics and culture, bringing you the voices of the voiceless from Calcutta to Casablanca here on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and 93.7 FM in northern San Diego, as well as streaming worldwide all the time on kpfk.org. My name is David Lloyd, and I'm a member of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or SWANA Collective, that brings you your weekly half-hour of SWANA Region Radio. Today's show is an interview with Sadia Abbas, whose new novel, The Empty Room, was published this fall by Zuban Books, an imprint of the pioneering Indian feminist press, Kali for Women. Set in Pakistan from 1969 to round about 1979, the novel tells the story of Tahira, a woman who is a painter but finds herself trapped in an unhappy marriage facing hostile in-laws. Her story coincides with a crucial period in Pakistani history, the uprising in Bangladesh, that would lead both to brutal repression by the Pakistani army, in which half a million or maybe more people are estimated to have been killed, and to the independence of Bangladesh itself, formerly Pakistan's eastern province. This was a period of political possibility, for which Tahira's left-wing brother Wasim struggles, but also one that laid the groundwork for the subsequent brutal dictatorship of General Zia-ul-Haq. Sajah Abbas is a professor of English and of women's and gender studies at Rutgers University, Newark. She's also the author of the critical book At Freedom's Limit, Islam and the Postcolonial Predicament, put out by Fordham University Press in 2014, and which won the Modern Language Association's first book prize. Her commentaries on contemporary Pakistan and on Europe's treatment of refugees and migrants can be found in Dawn, Counterpunch, Tank Magazine, and other publications. Welcome back to the show, Sadia. Thank you very much, David. It's good to be back. Great. Yeah, when we last spoke, that was uh, July 2015, if I remember, we were discussing the situation for refugees and migrants in Greece. But this time, we'll spend the whole show talking about your wonderful novel, The Empty Room, so, as I've said, the, the focus of your novels on this woman, Tahira, who's a young painter, but her painting life and involvement through her brother Wasim and his friends with social activism is seriously threatened by her marriage to a conservative and patriarchal businessman, Shezad, and by his family's greed and malice. It very subtly, in my view, unfolds the differing backgrounds of both families in the context of the partition of South Asia at the time of independence and in relation to the political turmoil of the new nation, Pakistan. And I want to come back to the subtlety of the way you introduce the reader to the complexities of both political and and familial life in in Pakistan. But I just wanted to start by asking you how you you would describe The Empty Room and and how you came to write it. You know, um, I, I'm not sure how I would describe it, because, of course, you know, as, as a writer yourself, that once you've written 
something like that. It, it sort of takes this huge life, right? Um, and then there's so much in there. I mean, in some ways, I would think of it as um, um, a book that is uh, very much about women of a certain generation. Right? And it's, it's a transitional generation, both in Pakistan, but also globally. I used to teach a women in the 20th century course when I was a lecturer at Michigan, Ann Arbor, and I was really interested in how, essentially my mother's generation, women who came of age in the 60s um, who and, or 50s who expected uh, their lives to be different, right? They were educated en masse um, and were very talented, were suddenly meant to adapt to a, to a social world that hadn't changed significantly, for them at least, and how women who came into uh, marriages that came with that came with no exit signs, right? that they couldn't conceive of divorce, um, live their lives. Um, so that's kind of how it started for me. And I knew women like that, very very talented women who who stayed, and I couldn't understand it, you know. Um, so that's actually what started it. It was it was a kind of conceptual difficulty. That that really certainly comes through, and of course, it's it is, isn't it? The the, the contradiction of nationalism, which begins with a, an emancipatory agenda in the decolonizing phase, and then ends up by restoring immensely conservative uh, constraints on people, and especially on women. And and in that in that context of of Pakistani nation formation and also nation breaking up, <laughs> can you fill in just for the for the listeners? A little of the historical background and why this is a transitional period, not only for women in the novel, but also a transitional period for Pakistan. I, I mentioned the independence of Bangladesh, but you can perhaps um, give a more accurate account of, of what the period entails. Well, Bangladesh was very important, of course, and, and it's there in the novel. It's also very, as you said, subtle, but also very quiet. Right? I mean, I think of it as a quiet novel about unquiet things. Well, that's very nicely put, actually. Yes, you know, and and uh, um, um, I also wanted to write a domestic novel in some sense, right? So, uh, you know, and, and the domestic novel in, in the sense of the literary. What what what, it, what does it mean to actually write a domestic novel? And uh, but uh, and and this is connected to the question of the nation, of course, right? Because no matter how circumscribed people's lives might have been, and now that's for the women. Um, it was also, it's also a, de a decolonizing country or a post-colonial state, and politics is everywhere. It sort of permeates all life. Um, and one of the, uh, the questions that I was thinking of was how in arranged marriages where people's temperaments but also their ideologies are irrelevant, right? Nobody actually tries to figure out whether women and men have similar ways of being in the world or similar sure. thoughts about politics how uh, people end up together, right? So the, part of the conflict in the novel, again, is a, between a, a fairly progressive Tahira, um, an very conservative Shazad, the, 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 you know, uh, the husband and wife. Um, uh, and it happened a lot. I mean, I saw that a lot too, but it, but it was also that 1969 and the 19, late 1960s were a period of tremendous political upheaval. Um, Bangladesh was created and, and by about 71, and that was because of a brutal and highly ethnicized and rather racialized repression of the Bangladeshi people, or at that time the Bengali people. But within Pakistan also, it was a moment of um, quite progressive politics, lots of student rebellions, 
uh, within sort of what became Pakistan and was then West Pakistan. And um, uh, Bhutto, um, Bhutto, the father of Benazir Bhutto, um, kind of rode in on a wave of um, of that kind of progressive thought. Now he presented himself as as, as some kind of socialist, but um, one of the things that comes out in the novel also is that he came in as chief martial law administrator. I mean that was his title, and um, he was more than happy to collude in the secession of the of of, of East uh, Bengal or and the division of the country. Um, but also that he quietly over the, or not so quietly over the next six, seven years, proceeded to crush all kinds of dissident thinking. Um, and that, and, and, and activism. And of course, so by the time Zia Haq came into power, um, things had been set in place for uh, Zia Haq to, to consolidate and essentially destroy the public sphere. So this all comes um, across with with tremendous clarity in the novel. I have to say, I mean, even for someone like myself, for whom you know the history of Pakistan comes in and out of my consciousness over the decades, and who has no no general overview. But one of one of the things that I think is so wonderful about the novel, and I, I'm going to avoid the spoiler that would talk about the tragic consequences of of Bhutto's uh, rise to power in that domestic sphere of which you of which you write. But it seems to me that the form of the novel, and I I love thinking about the form of works, is peculiarly attuned to what you're writing about. And very subtly unfolded, in the, as, as I read the form of the novel, it, it begins, frankly, in a very claustrophobic space. It moves really between two houses: the house of Tahira's family and the house of uh, her husband Shahzad's family. But then, in let's say roughly in the second part, it begins to open out onto the whole political panorama, and the point of view shifts beautifully from ta- mostly Tahira's point of view to the point of view of her brother and her friend Andalip, and and two others, uh, Safdar, their their activist uh, friend as well, and you open out not only into their perspectives but also into the public sphere. Then, as a result of the tragedy that, that takes place, the novel seems to sort of close back in again. But at this point, Tahira has kind of absorbed the impact of that public world, and it begins to come out in her painting. And I think it's it's a beautifully dialectical structure that you produce. Does, does that seem does that seem accurate to you as as I read it? No, thank you very much. I'm so glad you noticed. Um, <laughs> I do my best. You know. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm also a critic, so, uh, you know, I, I I was thinking very formally in, in many ways, right? Because, I mean, it's a morning after novel. It's, it's the anti-marriage plot novel. It starts with uh, Tahira waking up the morning. That's right. Yes. Of, of her marriage, right? I and mean, that's that's the first sentence, and that was very conscious, right? Um, the, the domestic and public is interesting in a, in a different way, right? At one point... I thought I would write a novel that never left the house or never left these two houses. And frankly, I got claustrophobic, you know. And so initially I thought of it as a cop-out that it would open up. And I I was trying to figure out how the public sphere uh, seeped in. But then I also realized I didn't want to write that novel. This was just a question of composition, right? What ended up happening, of course, is much more intentional, which is that when I actually did write it, it, it did open up into that public sphere. And 
Um, but it's also a sphere from which he is, uh, uh, from which he is uh, uh, excluded both by her in-laws and her marriage, but by herself. You know, she withdraws in, in some ways. And, and, and to me, then it became, it was dialectical. It was also, uh, there's a lot of doubling in the mouth, right? So, for instance, and it started happening when Andalip, her best friend, uh, sort of came into the novel. And Andalip sort of took over. She's a I wonderful character. I'm, I'm not surprised she took over. She, she literally, she catapulted over that boundary wall. As I was <laughs> right, right. And, and she took over. I fell in love with her. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that writers talk about, and I didn't know, where uh, suddenly here's this character, and you have to follow her because she's just so wonderful, right? And, and so that, that's one of the things that happened. Um, and then it became about doubling. Right, that that here's Tyra, that here's her best friend, there's her brother, who's uh, sort of in intention with her husband, but then there's also stuff there, and and these are people who and, and I had always wanted to write about the history of the left in Pakistan in some ways, and and that was always part of the initial inten- intention too, but they 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 became wonderful characters, and part of it actually also had to do with the current state of the novel. Which was to me, to me, what was interesting was that they, they're all fundamentally decent people, and I was also very uh, interested in the in, in how one writes about decent people because it's so much easier to write nasty characters. Well, it's right? true. I mean, there are nasty characters in the book, but I I would say that that Shazad is a very interesting character, the husband, because although he's playing the role of a quite oppressive patriarch and a very angry man at certain points, you also allow us to understand, A, how he becomes like that, and also to to glimpse other possibilities in him that a different social context might allow him to bring out more richly than, than he's able to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, again, but this is why it's always hard to talk about novels, because, uh, because there's so many characters in it. I mean, I wanted to tell the story of a social world in some ways. Right, a, 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 an entire corner of Karachi, where intellectuals settled after partition, and um, and where these ideological contestations were taking place, but which which were also going to, in some sense, get um, um, squashed by the end of the eighties. So, in that sense, it was it was um, trying to write a, about a moment, a possibility, not just ideologically, but also. Uh, telling the story of certain sorts of displaced communities, which were going to get um, absorbed into the nation in ways that were that were uh, that sold out their promise in all kinds of ways, and that wasn't just about uh, political ide- uh, left or right ideology. It was also about the fact that these they were immigrants from North India, and these are the people for whom the nation was ostensibly made, or who were very central to. Uh, the national ideology, who were uh, utterly, utterly betrayed by that ideology, who betrayed it themselves, but who were betrayed by it because once they came to Pakistan, once it had become Pakistan, they were outsiders, and they were regional outsiders. And this is in some sense, and to the extent that the novel is autobiographical, and it's not, um, it, this is the milieu in which I grew up. Right? So, And this is a a space in Karachi that has disappeared. It was a particular corner. And, um, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Neoliberalism happened. The security state happened. Al-Haq happened. And that 
an upward mobility of a different kind occurred, and that entire space uh, got diffused and dispersed. So there were there were all kinds of impulses that took over, uh, other than just wanting to depict Thyra, you know, characters like Thyra. But I also wanted to write about art. I mean, I really wanted to write about thinking. People. I, I was going to yeah. ask you about that. It's it's very interesting that that um, you take this intellectual milieu but the novel mediates it primarily through the eye of a painter. And I mean that not simply in, in the sense that one of the perspectival characters is Tahira, um, who is a painter, but also in what I describe as the marvelously painterly eye of the novel. I, I don't think I've read a novel um, with such a rich color vocabulary and a rich color vocabulary that, that's not just about the colors of the evening sky or the contrasts between someone's flesh and the clothes they're wearing and so forth, but also the way in which color connects you back to food, for example, or textiles or the decor of a room. And I I wonder, just to give um, people a sample of this, if you'd mind reading, uh, it's from page, uh, chapter seven of your novel, uh, page 62. Um, there's a, a passage there where you give us a sense of the wonderful kaleidoscope of colors in Karachi at the time. Um, what page did you Sorry, do? page 62, Sorry, I, I, just just below the break. Do you, too. I mean, I, I say this only because I actually don't have a copy of the novel. Here. Oh, you don't. <laughs> the author does not have her novel. Never mind. I um. The author. Well, the author has it on Kindle. So, is this where she describes Karachi? That's that's. She's describing called. Tariq Road. Uh, so is the street at night? Yes, exactly. Is that where, right. So. Um, she lowered her window in the evening breeze. Yes, yes. Yes, she lowered her. Yes, um, she lowered her window, and the evening breeze, that improbable Karachi benediction, cooled the jewels of sweat that had gathered like tiny crystal beads on her upper lip, and that had formed a little string where her hair met her forehead. She could feel them evaporating, little pinpricks of coolness on her damp, warm skin, fabric of every color and madly conceived pattern draped walls and ceilings spilled out onto pavement. It hung from hooks pierced into awnings, folded into little amputated people, plots for shirts folded and hanging above the, sh- the sh- shalvar piece with dupattas draped chastely around the necks of hangers, naked light bulbs, incendiary and hazardous, and almost too bright to behold, suspended behind bright patterns of traditional weaves, Marigold and green, turquoise and indigo, amethyst and burgundy jumped out, twisting depth and pressuring perspective. Men and women passed under the fabric, heads brushing against it, stepped over it on pavements, negotiated it the way they did the beggars with twisted limbs and ingratiating quavers in their voices, expert at ignoring the inconvenient spill that would wrap them in it thrashing and imprisoned as they fell. It's wonderful. Um, We should, given how little time we have, I'd love to hear you read more, but given how little time we have, um, I I really, I just wanted to to give our listeners just a sense of of how rich the colorscape of your novel is. And to ask you about that, I I know you've written about art. You just mentioned that you're a literary critic, but you are also a critic of of artwork, um, 
as as you showed so beautifully in in your critical book at Freedom's Limit. Talk, talk a little about why color is so important to this novel and to you. Well, I mean, um, I think of Pakistan um, as uh, ex- extraordinarily colorful, right? And the way people dress, the colors everywhere. So, in some sense. Um, Moving to the states was it was interesting and um, maybe even a little painful because I was used to color, and I think I mean I I love color, but it was also it was so different, and 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 which is not to say that the novel is nostalgic for it, but but it was something that I got very interested in, um, very young, and then especially when I came to college because because that's one of the things I missed I associated with home. And to me, it was about both the beauty and the violence of, of Karachi, right? It's, it's, it's about the sheer um, um, uh, intensity of the aesthetic experience and of the physical and visual experience of being there. Um, that sort of blended into some notion of um, how to express something how do, how uh, people who don't talk, and I mean, you might have noticed in the novel that people don't complete their sentences, mm-hmm. or yeah, they I'm think about saying yeah. something but they don't, right? So um, they they think, and and then the novel shows you that they're thinking, but they don't. But but what they say is actually quite different. So in that sense, it was also about how do you have a very rich um, um, understanding of the world around you? You're experiencing it very intensely, but it's not being experienced um, in words. How do, you, how do you describe that? So I think that was part of it. Um, then what it was also about was that um, I wanted to write about painters because um, Pakistan has extraordinary women painters. Right? And in fact, two of the great pioneers um, in Pakistan, the Dada Allah, who brought abstract painting to Pakistan, um, and then uh, the new miniature which is now a global phenomenon, was launched by Shazia Sekandar, who now lives in New York. And so uh, women have been extremely important to the Pakistani art scene, and there are numerous other women like that. So it was about a kind of culture of silence or a a training in silence, but also an intensity of experience. How how do you navigate that in writing? And I think color became very important to that. There's also one more thing, which is the language of, of, of social exchange in Pakistan, and especially in the domestic sphere, is very much about clothing, fabric, embroidery, right? Women women do things together um, around those things. I mean, and, and now we're talking about bourgeois women, right? But mm-hmm. they exchange clothes. They buy clothes. They embroider clothes. They have clothes made. Um, and and life is very structured around that in certain kinds of households. So it was also about capturing that, you know, I mean, wedding clothes, because so many people attend so many different wedding, weddings, and the weddings are so important to the novel. Uh, people sit together and they embroider, and I grew up with that. So it was also about um, the sheer sensuousness of domestic life, which is, which is very structured around that. Now, that's disappearing under neoliberalism because... You've got all of these kind of malls now, but um, but it was about about uh, what structures everyday life and color. Oddly enough, does even with cooking, it does. You know, turmeric stain, translucency. I think mm. is a, 
Yes. I used them on the curry. Well, let me, um, let me say that, that I, I think what you're describing about the silences that are then, you know, give way to this language of color and, and, and language of the senses says a lot about – one of the things I love about the novel is that you don't explain anything or almost nothing. <laughs> Um, everything, everything in the culture is is given to us, but it's not exoticized by explanation. If you know what I mean, so many novels in English coming from non-English speaking cultures are constantly explaining <laughs> and yeah. telling you a little translation of everything. What's so wonderful about your novel is it carries across a sensuous experience that could be strange to someone like me who has yet to visit Pakistan. And yet I'm aware of the depth and the richness of the culture precisely by what I don't understand but what is presented to my senses. And I, I just think that's one of the remarkable achievements of the novel. Well, thank you. I, I, there's a, I, I deliberately didn't do that. In fact, there's, uh, you know, there's Urdu in the novel at one point. Indeed. And what I was in conversation with um, a professor, an Indian professor at Yale, who actually understood that there's a couplet in there that's not translated anywhere in the novel. And it's, uh, you know, half of that poem is translated, but that one couplet isn't. And it was deliberate not just for, I mean, it was deliberate for all kinds of reasons. As you know, I didn't, uh, the novel is available here, but the press is South Asian. It's an Indian press, but uh, I also did it because Urdu is under attack in India in some way. So uh, it's it's not put in Devanagari script anywhere, nor mm-hmm. is it put in, nor is it transliterated. Um, uh, so it, it's it's a little bit about the status of the language post partition everywhere in South Asia, for instance. Yes, I didn't. I, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. I, I yes. didn't want to. I didn't want well, to. Well, to that. be honest with you, Sajjad, I've noticed so many more things, and unfortunately, we've now run out of time to talk about all the other things. So let me just say, this is a, a wonderful, rich, and beautiful novel, and I encourage our listeners to um, make the effort to find it and to order it online and to read it. Thank you very much. Thank you for talking to us today, Sajjad. Bye. Bye bye now. My guest today has been Sajja Abbas, Professor of English and of Women's and Gender Studies at Rutgers University, Newark. She's also the author of the book At Freedom's Limit, Islam and the Political Predicament, 2014, which won the Modern Language Association's first book prize. This is all the time we have on our show today. The Swana Collective would like to thank our guest, Sajja Abbas, for appearing today. This and all our shows are available to download at kpfk.org. Thanks, as always, to Gary on the board. My name is David Lloyd of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or SWANA Collective. And on behalf of all of our collective members, I'd like to wish our listeners a great day. Please stay tuned to KPFK, and don't forget to tune into our sister show, Middle East in Focus, on Sunday after Sunday morning. Take care. Welcome to Radio Antipada. Voices from Calcutta to Casablanca. Voices of struggle. Voices for change. Bringing you news and analysis. You are listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest, and online at kpfk.org. A quick reminder that your local station board elections are happening now. Please visit kpfk.org or elections.pacifica.org to read candidate statements and for more information about the election. You are eligible to vote if you donated a minimum of $25 between October 2nd, 2017 and October 20th, 2018.
2018. Look out for your ballot either via email or postal mail starting January 7th, 2019. Have questions? Please contact the local election supervisor by emailing les underscore kpfk at pacifica.org. KPFK's end-of-the-year giving campaign is wrapped up, but you can still make a pledge online to be eligible to win some amazing sweepstakes prizes. We're choosing two grand prize winners for a pair of tickets to see the Rolling Stones No Filter Tour at the Rose Bowl on Saturday, May 11th. These two winners are in the first five rows of the stadium. Plus, we're providing round-trip ground transportation to and from the concert, courtesy of the Jackson Limousine Service. For both of our grand prize winners, our first prize winner also scores a pair of tickets to see the stones and there's more second and third prize winners will receive the beatles white album super deluxe box set the 50th anniversary edition all you have to do is pledge online at kpfk.org and you'll be eligible for these fantastic prizes but do it quick the contest ends december 31st make your pledge today at kpfk.org good luck and happy holidays from kpfk I'm Max A.C. Jackson III, Executive Director, Pacifica Foundation. One station provides a clear, progressive perspective. Through news, information, and culture, KPFK keeps you current. I'm urging you to donate and encourage others to do the same. Be the stimulus for philanthropy this holiday season. Support Pacifica with a gift to KPFK securely at kpfk.org. It's because of individual giving from citizens just like you that Progressive Free Speech Radio exists in Southern California. In advance, I want to thank you.